Amen. Turn please to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And just a short review is in order. The sermon's entitled Slaves to Sin or to God. And that does divide humanity into two parts. Everyone is a slave. Men like to say, I'm free, no one's my master, no one can tell me what to do. Everybody has people telling them what to do. And uh, really, no man is his own master. If you think you're your own master, uh, then you belong to the other one, to, to Satan and his group. So slaves to sin or to God. Um, Christians and non-Christians alike are walking dead men. You go, how can they be walking dead men? It may, may sound strange, but hear me out. It's the difference in how we are dead. The lost man is dead to God and righteousness. And, um, you know, there are some that uh, imply that man has ability in himself to make a decision for God. And I would agree with that if we understand what the word decision means. Uh, he can make uh, an outward decision. Uh, he can make a, a, a desire to change his life and to turn over a new leaf. These are things that lost men can do. But what he cannot do is free himself from the slavery of sin. Okay. And so we have an illustration. The lost man is dead in trespasses and sin. Suppose there's a remedy that could make him well and bring him back to life. All he has to do is, is reach out and take it. But if he's dead, how is he going to reach out and take that remedy? So some of our friends say, well, he's not really dead in sin at all. He's very sick. He's almost gone. He has enough strength to make the decision. That's what's been left to him by God. Thankfully, he can do that. So thankfully, he can reach out on his own to God. But when you understand the truths, and, and Pastor Ken's been preaching or teaching through the truths, at the 10 o'clock hour, uh, you'll understand that this is not possible and why it's not possible. Dead men cannot take medicine. Dead men cannot raise themselves from the dead. There's one thing dead men can do. They can lay there and rot. That's what dead men can do. They can lay there and rot. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. When you witness to a lost person, and you should, but when you witness to a lost person, remember, you're talking to a walking dead man. And I don't care how good your arguments are, you know, use scripture, absolutely, because scripture is what will actually change the hearts of men and women. But no matter how good your arguments are, unless God makes the word alive in their heart, they will remain dead. Christians are walking dead men too. <laughs> what do you mean, walking dead men? We're alive to God. Yeah, yeah, dead to sin and alive to God. And say, wait a minute, Pastor. I surely do not feel like I'm dead to sin. I sin more than I ever wished that I would. Sin is my plague. One of the Puritans uh, wrote a book called The Plague of Plagues, and he's talking about sin and uh, the difficulty of sin in the Christian life. So we don't feel like we're dead to sin, and we often do sin, and we hate it when we do, but we need to understand what dead to sin means. And uh, that's what we're talking about today. Now, we've already gone over some of that. We also have gone over uh, the fact that the Christian is not a man with two masters. Okay. 
Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There are not two masters for the Christian any more than there are two masters for the lost man. Now the sixth chapter of Romans divides itself very nicely for us, and we've already gone all the way down to verse 15, that's where we start today. But the first um, 10 verses have to do with the doctrine that we're talking about, the doctrinal exposition. And if you don't have that, you really can't understand the rest of the chapter well. Okay, we'll try to make points as we go along to help for those that haven't been here. But verses 11 through 14 set practical exhortations. You know, in light of the truth of verses 1 through 10, of course there were no verses in the original, but there were ideas that were set forth. And in verses 1 through 10, uh, you, you know, we see, the, we see the doctrine. 11 through 14 give us the practical implications of the doctrine. And we see this in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Obviously, talking to Christians, and we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin, even though it doesn't feel like it. Reckon yourselves alive to God, even though at times it doesn't appear to be true. Believe it by faith in Christ that you belong to Him. And then verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. In other words, don't obey the lusts of the flesh, which we still find sometimes warring against us, but obey God. Battle against sin, yield to God, do His will, obey His commands. Okay. Now, verses 15 through 23 are the focus for today. And uh, hopefully this will encourage us and strengthen us in this battle that we are fighting against. And so let me just read the, the entirety of it and then we'll go verse by verse. Verse 15, what then? You know, and verse 14 we have to kind of put it with it even though we dealt with it. For sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we, because we are not under law but under grace, shall we sin? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to whom those are the ones you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, or unto sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a Christian passage and it's exhortations to live unto God and to live unto holiness. Okay. 
So as we start, you know, here, we saw in verse 14, uh, sin shall not have dominion over you. And this, free, this freedom that we have in Christ is not a license to sin. We're free from the law, but not free to simply break the law. It'd be wrong to say God's law no longer exists for the Christian. How could we explain the exhortation of verse 14, if that were true? Now, the law of God is a, is a great subject. It really is. In fact, we'll sing uh, a song to close the service today that may be the best uh, hymn that's been written in regards to the law. In fact, if you were to memorize this particular hymn, you would have a great understanding of what the law of God means for the Christian. But I'll wait until we get there uh, to do that. But really, 449, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Great hymn, tremendous hymn with a lot to learn from it. Okay. Calvin tells us that there's three uses of the law. Okay, three primary uses of the law. The first one is the condemning use of the law. As it defines sin, it condemns sin. Second of all is, um, you know, falling under the power of sin, you know, and, uh, and then restraining sin. Uh, why is the world still turning? Well, it's not because our politicians are so bright that they figured out how to stop nuclear holocausts from happening, uh, because uh, that's not the reason. And uh, it's not because men uh, actually don't have the desire to kill one another. I'm glad to tell you that most people are never going to be murderers. Most people are never going to be murderers. Not because they're so great, not because they're so wonderful, but the law says thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, and uh, you know, that's just ingrained in us to understand that. We have to really go against uh, something within us to become a murderer. It's very difficult to do. There are times that we need to kill. Law enforcement officers uh, need to have the ability to do deadly force to, for the good of the society and for the good of, of all. But uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming a murderer. Some people do, but uh, the law is a restrainer, you know. Uh, some people commit adultery, but the law is a restrainer. And so many people don't become adulterers. Now, just because we don't murder, just because we don't commit adultery, we must not think that we somehow have pleased God and earned eternal life. That's, that's not the case at all. But the reason that we can have a society at all is because this is what God has set up. And Calvin tells us this, that uh, the law is a restrainer of sin, even amongst the lost. But there's a third use of the law. And this one concerns us as Christians. The law teaches us God's will. And it also exhorts us to obey God's will. It's the third use of the law. We learn what God's will is in regard to sin, and he exhorts us to obey God's will. And so that's the third use of the law. That's why we're not antinomians, because we believe that the law is still valid because it teaches us what God would have for us, be it positive or negative. And this freedom can be misunderstood. This freedom can be twisted around. This freedom can be turned into bondage even. Many Christians are anything but free from the law. Sometimes churches, and I'm sure well-meaning, but churches bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, 
and their religion becomes a religion of do's and don'ts, you know. And whose religion was a religion of do's and don'ts in the Bible? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were masters of do's and don'ts, and they were masters of setting up their own laws that they could keep. They found it easy to tithe mint and an eyes and cumin. They found that an easy thing to do, and so they would focus on things like that. And uh, so they set up their own laws and then felt righteous as they kept those laws. But I can tell you, there is no power and there's no benefit at all in creating a law that God did not create and then keeping it. What good is that, you know? Well, modern day Pharisees set up their own laws which they can keep. Modern day Pharisees compare themselves to others. They think they're more spiritual than everyone else. There are a hundred things maybe that they will do or will not do. And modern day Pharisees ignore the law of God in favor of their own opinions. Simple as that. Mark 7, 7, talking about this. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So there is a wrong use of right and wrong, the wrong use of the law. The law can never make you holy. That's not its intent. The law can never justify. It never has and never will. That's not the intent of the law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what it says in 1 John. As a lost man, and I was a lost man, and Christian, you were lost too at one time. As a lost man, the law once condemned me. The law was once my enemy. The law showed me my sin and utter rebellion against God. The law loved to try to beat me down and keep me in bondage. The law once proved my total inability to please God. I saw the law. I sank in hopeless despair. I was lost, dead on my way to hell. And when you find a man in that condition, that's actually a good thing. That's actually a good thing when you find a man thinking like that. Find a man or a woman thinking like that, that's good. Because most people just go on with their life, go on with their life, never giving much thought to God at all. Or if they do give God thought to God at all, they think, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, how could God judge me? I mean, there's some horrible people in this world. There's some terrible people in this world. And I'm probably in the, the top one-fourth of, of goodness, you know, with three horses below me. How, why would God condemn me? That kind of thinking will take you right straight to hell. That kind of thinking is wrong thinking. God does not judge that way. The right use of the law. The right use of the law. Oh, by the way, I'll just say this. Um, because it comes to mind. Uh, this is where we need to be careful as, as pastors and preachers of the word. Because um, I find, and I want you to think about this as you hear various pastors speaking, sometimes we preach grace, grace, grace to the lost. God loves you. It's a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you just as you are. He's done everything he can to save you, so just come to him. And so grace and forgiveness and, and blessings are preached to the lost. And, uh, and people come to, sometimes people come to faith, true faith, under preaching like that. And then what they find is the next thing they know is uh, as they are in church, 
they're being told law, law, law to the saved. You just need to play. You need to try harder. You need to work harder. You're not doing enough, you know. It's backwards. It's backwards. You know, we need to tell the lost that they are lost and that they need Christ. Okay. And we need to tell Christians, you know, you're in Christ. You have the gospel. You believe. And uh, you're not a slave to sin. And you can serve him. Right use of the law, verse 14, again. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Written to Christians. But you could turn this around if you wanted to do it, and you can do this legitimately. Talking to the lost. Sin has dominion over you. You are not under grace, but under law. You can do that. that that's legitimate. We need the law as a guide. It's a good guide to show the will of God. It's a guide to show how Jesus perfectly lived his life. We just had a catechism question about the Sabbath today. Now there's, there's an interesting subject for you. Because while Jesus Christ was on this earth, he was accused by some of being a Sabbath breaker. If you read the Gospels, you can see that a lot. Okay, What happened uh, when he would heal somebody on their Sabbath to Saturday. Well, what would happen when he did that? Well, this man's a sinner. We know that he's a sinner. Look what he just did. He broke the Sabbath. There are six days that you could heal somebody. What in the world? Why? And yet we find a lot of the miracles that we're told about happened on the Sabbath day. Isn't that interesting? You know? And his disciples walked through the field. And they were hungry. And they took some of the grain and they wrapped it in their hands and real fast, got it ready to eat and ate it and satisfied themselves. And the Pharisees said, oh man, cooking on the Sabbath day? What's that all about? That's cooking, you see, like that, working and cooking. And uh, Christ, of course, defended his disciples. But you know what I really find interesting with all that? They had their man-made laws that went along with the Sabbath. Some of them were legitimate. Many of them were not. Uh, they were traditions of men. But um, one thing that's kind of interesting, when it came time to condemn Christ, and they're standing before Pilate, or they're standing before Herod, and they're saying, this man is a great sinner, He's a, and they name all the things he did. Don't see it written that they said he's a Sabbath breaker. The one sin that they're constantly accusing him of, when it came to the end of his life, when they're trying to prove he's a sinner, they don't do that. Why? Because works of necessity and um, works of mercy were and still are allowable on the Lord's Day. Works of necessity and works of mercy are allowable on the Lord's day. If an animal falls into the pit, you say, oh no, he fell into the pit on the Sabbath day. What are we going to do? I guess hopefully he'll be okay till tomorrow. You know, and that's not mercy. And that's not what God says. Jesus himself says, you, you guys pull the animal out of the pit. You even do that, you know. Okay. So the law shows us what's good and right. But it's not good and right to add my own opinions to the law. 
And a proper understanding of the law of God will keep us from being loose Arminians and also from Pharisaical legalists. Now, there's many places we go to, to see the law. The Ten Commandments are, are the basis of the law of God. And there are other laws too, laws that have been done away with, ceremonial laws, um, you know, those, those no longer apply because Christ fulfilled the ceremonial laws and uh, judicial laws, which still can be used uh, for wisdom's sake, but they were for the nation of Israel, okay. And so the judicial laws uh, existed and it helped them to have what we could call a constitution, so, so to speak, of how to, to deal with each other as a nation. And these are also no longer valid, although many of them are valid in this aspect that they do come under certain parts of the law of God. For instance, thou shalt not kill. Okay. That is a civil law, but it's also one of the Ten Commandments. So, you know, there's an overlap sometimes that happens there. Now, free from sin, but still a slave. Verse 15 again, what, sh what then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Well, if there's anything we come away from this chapter, we should understand that. That Christians can sin and should not sin. And look at verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So, with this being the case, verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So very practical, you know. Who you obey shows who your master is. Who you obey shows who your master is. And verse 17, if you, and of course we encourage you to read your Bible. Read your Bible daily. Read your Bible, you know, go, if you can go through the Bible in a year, go through the Bible in a year. Some people can't do that. Okay, go through the Bible in two years then, you know, and, and do that. Read the Bible. But when we're just reading, if we're not careful, we misread. So we've got to be careful as we read. And this verse here can be easily misread. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, or to which you were committed. Okay, what is the doctrine? That, that one's easy. Apostolic doctrine. Biblical doctrine, as we come to the New Testament, apostolic doctrine. Okay, so that one I don't think there's any debate about. But we might misread 17b, if we're not careful. That form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Go, well, okay. Um, it's apostolic doctrine. But we need to understand that it's, in the Greek, it's passive. It's passive in the Greek. To which you were delivered. You know, um, we were delivered to this. It isn't the fact that, uh, okay, it's delivered to us. Well, it is, of course, in the Word of God, it's delivered to us. But this was we were, what we were delivered to. Okay, and that, that's important, you know, to understand. The form of doctrine is the sound teaching of the apostles and prophets. 
And this teaching is what we obey. We obey from the heart because we want to obey. God has changed our hearts. We're slaves to a new master. We desire to serve him. And the fact that the whole phrase is in the passive shows that God is the author of our salvation and he's also the author of our sanctification. Now, I said a week ago, and it, it's very true, that um, justification is the work of God alone. God alone justifies. We have no part in our justification. But uh, in, in regeneration, we're given a new heart. We're given a new life. And now begins the process of sanctification. The completed final work of sanctification is the work of God alone. When will you be finally sanctified? When you're glorified. Sanctification turns into glorification. When you're finally in heaven, when you're in the new heavens and the new earth, you will be fully sanctified. You will be glorified. But we do have responsibilities on this earth to obey God. So sanctification isn't let go, let God do nothing at all. You know, no, we need to serve him. We need to do what's right. We need to stay away from what is wrong. This is very, very true. It's passive. He saves us. We receive salvation. We don't initiate it or earn it. He's the author and finisher of our faith. We're receivers. I'll use an illustration that will break down. That's why I don't use a lot of illustrations except biblical illustrations because they all break down eventually. You know, but um, this one's one that uh, I think is helpful to me. I'll use a football analogy. In football, you have receivers, right? They're receivers, okay. And uh, they're guys that can catch the ball really well. The guys that are really fast but don't catch so well become defensive backs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have a receiver, okay, and he's really good. He's really talented. But he can't catch a ball unless it's thrown to him. Someone else has to do something before he really can be a receiver. Otherwise, he's a blocker, or he's a runner. There's a lot of things he really is, even though he's called a receiver. Unless somebody throws him the ball. And he can be wide open, he can be the greatest receiver in the world. But if you don't throw to him, he's not really a receiver in the truest sense of the word. In some ways, it's a passive position. In some ways, it's passive. You know, someone needs to make him a receiver. Okay, well, the illustration does break down, I admit, you know. But I think it's helpful when we think about God and what God does for us and the fact that we receive grace, you know. Now, verse 19 is the illustration of dead to sin. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness or unto sanctification. Okay. So everybody's got a master. Everybody. And the extended illustration that we gave two weeks ago and then shortened it down a lot last week, I'm going to give it one more time. Okay, because I think it's a good illustration. I think it's exactly what Paul was saying. C.H. Spurgeon said, illustrations are like windows. They, they let light into the text, help us to understand the text a little better. So let me give that extended illustration one more time. You and I were born in trespasses and sin. Okay, that is the way we were born. There's only one that was born without trespasses and sin. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who was born perfect. Adam was made without trespasses and sin, but he didn't remain in that state very long, did he? Okay, so there's one that was born without trespasses and sin, and it's not Mary, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, we were born as slaves then. Nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody likes to be called a slave. And one of the great things that happened in our own country is the slaves were eventually freed. For that, we can be very, very glad. Some of the slaves had terrible, horrible, tyrannical masters that just did unbelievably wicked things. Okay, that's, that's true. That's humanly true. Well, we had a master that was horrible and tyrannical and wicked as can be, and that's Satan and the law of sin that dwelt within us. Okay. We were under the bondage of Satan and sin. You know, no man can serve two masters. You know, Jesus said to, to some, you are of your father, the devil. The works of your father you do. If we do the works of the devil, we're of the devil. Okay. Well, this poor slave was kept in the prison of a tyrannical master. Not all slaves have tyrannical masters. Satan is very, very glad to just leave you alone. Just let you live your life. Do your own thing. Just like a person. Don't have any thoughts of God. Don't worry about it. Don't have any thoughts of Satan. Just do your thing. Do your thing will send you right to hell. So Satan's glad to let people do that. But some he terrorizes. Some he treats horribly. Some circumstances are, are miserable and rotten and horrible, okay? So he's a slave with a tyrannical master that beats him and treats him badly and throws him down into the dust and maybe he's down, thrown into a well, let's say. Thrown down into a deep well. Not that it's full of water, but it's full of muck, much like what Jeremiah was put into. He's down in this well, he can't get himself out. And if he does try to reform his ways and climb up to freedom, Satan's glad to use um, one or two rungs of the Ten Commandments to beat him back down and show him how terrible he really is. And he lives a life of misery. And sometimes people living a life of misery like this will, will turn to drugs, turn to alcohol, they'll turn to a lot of things, you know, to try to ease the pain of just living. There seemed to be no escape from this bondage, no escape from this suffering. But it so happened there was a great king who took pity on this slave and loved him. He was another man's slave, but this great king devised a way to free him from his slavery. And so the way he did it was he had the slave put to death. Literally had him crucified. Look at verse 6. And this is the new master that loves him. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. He had the slave crucified. And now, the old master couldn't do anything to the slave. He was dead. You could beat him, it wouldn't matter. You know, treat him horribly, wouldn't matter. Nothing would matter because the slave was dead. He was free from his old master by death. 
Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. The old master had nothing on him, so a new master came, Christ Jesus the Lord, and saved him. The, the horrible thing was death by crucifixion. Yeah, that's true. But that freedom from the slave-master relationship. And now the king takes him into his own home. And although he's a slave, doesn't treat him like a slave. He says, you're my friends. And then he goes even further and says, you're my brothers. Goes even further and says, you're in Christ. Okay, so there we go. There's what God has done for the Christian. And now we serve God. And we desire to serve God. And we do serve God even though we fail sometimes. But we do serve God, not out of slavish fear, but out of love, out of gratitude. The old relationship was ended by death, our own death. Yet, the slave was alive because this king could resurrect him. And this king does resurrect him. And we, Christian friend, have been resurrected from the dead and brought to Christ. If you're in Christ, you were, that, you were lost and you were that slave. But now you belong to him because of his work for you. Sin held you, held you captive. It condemned you by the law. Maybe you tried to be good. Maybe you tried to obey. But it was never good enough, even if you thought you were good enough. Only by being found in Christ can we have a new life. And it's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of living. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. This is what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is telling us in Romans chapter 6. That sums up what we've been looking at in Romans chapter 6. And the exhortation is found in the end of verse 19 when it says, So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Or we may say for sanctification in your Bible. And what's Paul telling us through the Holy Spirit? He's saying, serve God as fervently as you once served sin. Serve your new master as heartily as you served the old one. Serve your new master as willingly as you served the old one. That's what we're called to do. And on your outline, I have a quote from Spurgeon talking about this very thing on this very verse. And this is what he says. In the days of our sin, we sinned with all our power. There was not one part of us but what became the willing servant of sin. And we went from iniquity into iniquity. And now the cross has made us entirely new. And we've been melted down and poured into a fresh mold. Now let us yield every member of our body, soul, and spirit to righteousness, even unto holiness, to the whole of us in the wholeness and consequently the holiness of our nature shall be given to God. Spiritual was a master of words. I mean, that's just amazing. You can take that home with you and read it. Read it over a few times. It'll really kind of get you not only uh, what it means, but how he actually says it, you know. Uh, Even unto holiness, till the whole of us, in the wholeness and consequently the holiness of our nature 
shall be given to God. He uses that word and kind of uses it in different forms in different ways. And, and it really conveys uh, a truth to us. Well, really the rest of it kind of speaks for itself. So we're almost done. Verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then? And the things of which you are now ashamed. Talk to many Christians. They talk about how ashamed they are of the things they did in their former life. My friend, God's forgiven you. You need not be ashamed. These are things that happened in providential ways, even to bring you to himself. You know, so it's helpful. So you, you don't go into those things. Don't do them again. But please don't carry a burden of guilt for your pre-conversion sins. Don't do that. You know, what fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. And then here's this famous verse that's very, very true. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then really chapter 7 uh, is part of the, I, I ought to read it because um, some of you may not understand where I'm coming from with that illustration of the slave being set free by death. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband, but as long as he lives, for as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Okay. So that, that's basically what we're talking about. And then it goes on. But uh, that's next week. We'll talk a little bit more. But the illustration is a long illustration that we have. We have a new master. We have new fruit. All things have become new. Formerly bondage, now freedom. Formerly a slave of sin, now slaves of God. Formerly vice, now holiness. Formerly shame, now peace of mind. Formerly wages, now a free gift. Formerly death, now everlasting life. Those are the contrasts. You know, wages are something that you earn. You know, you don't, you know, we, we have some workers around here uh, that uh, do the lawns and, and, um, and clean the church. And we're glad for them. And um, they'll often say thank you as um, we give them their pay for the month. And that's fine. That's right. That's, that's nice. But really, we could say, no, you earned it. <laughs> you know, you don't need to thank me. You earned it. We made an agreement. We'll pay you. You do this. Do it well. We'll pay you for it. And really, that, that's what wages are. You know, you, you, it's, not, it's not a gift. It's, a, it's what you've earned. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life because you can't earn it. It's not wages. There's no way that you can earn it. It's the gift of God. Your sins are new death. It's eternal death. We're talking about eternity in hell. We're talking about the lake of fire. That, that is real. It's hard to comprehend that it's real. But if, if we believe the Bible, we have to believe it's real. Your sins will earn you an eternity of punishment. But the gift of God, eternal life, it's not something you earn. It's not something you merit. It's something you receive 
You receive it by sovereign grace. You receive it by his mercy. You receive it as a gift freely given to you. It's what God does. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Do you know Christ? Do you know your future? If you're in Christ, your future is great. It's a wonderful future. If you don't know Christ, your future is bleaker than I would want to say. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you'd use this passage to work in the hearts of believer and unbeliever alike. If you use it in the heart of an unbeliever, Lord, they'll find themselves now a believer. Regeneration will have come and a new life will have begun. For those of us that have new life in Christ, I pray that you use it to transform our way of thinking. Father, Romans 7 is going to talk about being slaves again. And it's going to talk about the fact that we still sin. And because we still sin, it just doesn't seem like we've gotten rid of the slavery issue. But we need to see ourselves as people that have been redeemed. The bondage has been broken, Father. And now we're in Christ. And although we do not live perfectly in this life, we shall live perfectly one day, just as certain as Jesus Christ himself is perfect. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the ability to look to our future and see what we've seen in the book of Revelation, that we can join the crowd around the throne singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, that we can be amongst those for all eternity that praise your name, that we can live in the light of your love. We can do that here, but Father, what a great day awaits us when this bondage of sin is finally once and for all broken and we can live the way we desire to live today. Father, help us to do exactly that. May Jesus Christ be praised. In his name we pray, amen.